0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia. And again, I'm going to go very far away from my town, very far away from my state, um, to one of the biggest states, at least land-wise, um, place I think I would really like to go visit, especially during the pandemic, because it would be a great place to get away, Montana. Uh, I have spoken with my friend Barbara Bissett before who was a state representative in Montana and it's a place where the politics are far more interesting than uh, over the years I think people realize some really good <laughs> people and one of those really good people is my new friend state representative Jessica Karjala who's going to tell me her story and hopefully inspire you to maybe knock some doors and get involved yourself so Jessica um you are a state representative uh, Fixing a lot of issues and tackling them head on. Uh, welcome to uh, the You Should Run podcast.
1: Thank you, Tony. Thank you for having me. Uh,
0: so, I last time I talked to someone from Montana was uh, Barbara, um, who's a great representative there, and she had a lot to say about the different people Senator Tester, the gov- then Governor Bullock. Um, yeah. But that's a different person. Um, <laughs> you have your own story of how you got involved. In politics, when have you always been political in nature? Did you always get involved, or was it something that kind of inspired you? Like, I need to to start caring about this stuff.
1: No, um, to be honest, uh, politics seemed like something out there that I would pay some more attention to at some point in the future. Um, being a divorced mom, or as a, they're better known, a single mom of, mm-hmm. of two kids, it just it wasn't something that I had time to really focus on when I was younger. Um, when I started working as an advocate for folks with disabilities, mm-hmm. it was really an eye-opening experience Um I was trained by a team of attorneys in Chicago who wrote legislation to provide uh, work incentives, work supports for people who have disability benefits and earn an income. And I didn't realize how much of, of a, a circumstance we put folks in when they have disability benefits, we basically put them into an either or. Either you work or you get disability benefits, mm-hmm. but you really can't do both because then it becomes really difficult and most folks choose not to lose their health care benefits because that's what's at risk when they go back to work. Mm-hmm. That was an eye-opening experience. <laughs> um, and then while I was working that job, President Obama decided to run for office the first time and lo well, and behold one of the first things that uh one of the biggest things that he ran on was affordable health care <laughs> and so i said sign me up i'm gonna go campaign for that guy and that was when i started knocking doors in uh, 2007 um i was at the election night party when he won quite honestly it moved me to tears it mm-hmm. was very exciting and um Yeah, that was my path forward. I continued to volunteer for campaigns after that, Um, and then in 2014, I was asked by my central committee to run for office. And um, hindsight being what it is, um, I stupidly said yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, from what I've seen from all the issues you are involved in, which is a lot, um, (laughs) you know, even from far away, I'm glad you did decide to run. Uh, Thank you. One thing you say already, though, is. You know, as a divorced mom dealing with these issues, um, you didn't have time and energy to focus on them. That's very understandable, but it seems like one of the drawbacks of our political system is that voices like those that you had aren't Uh heard enough because the people who need to be heard are far too busy dealing with real life.
1: Yeah, up to their necks and alligators.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Are there alligators in Montana?
1: <laughs> Absolutely not.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> uh, but and you've you've been in office. You've listened to constituents. You've been in testimony. Is it something you've you've seen even more of that people who should be heard just don't have the time and energy to do it?
1: Absolutely. And here's part of the reason, Tony. You mentioned that Montana is one of the largest states in the nation. It's the fourth largest in terms of land mass. Um, but then when you talk about population wise. Um, we're one of the smallest. Mm -hmm. Um, Last known recorded numbers were about a million people. (laughs) And what that boils down to, in realistic terms, is that there are more cows than people in the state of Montana. When it comes to policy, when it comes to our legislature, that means that people would have to travel vast different distances to come to testify at our legislature. Um, Factor in our winters, um, they Mm -hmm. would be traveling uh, very dangerous roads to get there a lot of the time since we hold our session in the dead of winter. And um, that, that that's a barrier in and of itself. Um, factor in, you know, folks like single moms who might be needing to work two or three jobs just to keep their heads above water. Um, And then it's it's not even a remote possibility. It's just not even a consideration So um, then what you have are folks who run for office who actually have the luxury and the ability to be able to do that Because you have to dedicate a lot of time to campaigning You have to be able to take four months of the year out of your job Mm -hmm. to go up there to legislate Um, You have to be able to rent a place to live Um, and quite honestly not a lot of people have that ability, so it ends up being a system of representation by um, folks who are, are quite honestly privileged. And um, though I was a single mom, I, I would count myself among those folks now that are privileged. I have the ability to do that now. Yeah,
0: and so that means that in state cap and and Montana is not unique to that, of course. That there are state capitals where people who live near the state capital. Um, Who have those challenges, they may be able to run. The people who live one, two, three, four hours away, um, they feel really left out of the system just by the way it's set up. They absolutely are. Yes. And, And so that really, I think that a lot of people look at Congress, it's the thing they understand the most, and they're like, oh, well, look, Senator so and so is a multimillionaire, or they have all these houses. But a lot of that, the effects of privilege is maybe even more felt on the state level than on a federal level.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I always say that, that um, state policy has more direct impact, greater impact on in people's individual lives. And if you want to just look at it from a simple perspective that we have a lot of gridlock in Congress, mm-hmm. um, whereas in a state legislature, things move. Even though we call it a kill process, Uh, there's a significant amount more legislation being passed at the state level um, and it has more direct impact on your lives. So, um, yeah, I always try to to explain that to people when I'm campaigning or any opportunity I get that if you're going to vote, vote for your state legislative races
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: these are the folks that are going to be making a bigger difference in your life than any other candidate, including city council, including Congress, um, any of the other statewide offices.
0: And as I was looking up all the things you've worked on in the legislature, you are talk, talking about um, disability issues, healthcare, labor rights, environmental rights, um, all these things. <laughs> when you ran, not that you didn't care about those issues, but um, how many issues did you first run on? Because you said healthcare was important. Did you focus on one thing or were you tackling the whole world's issues?
1: Right. No, um, we're advised to, to keep it short, sweet, narrow it yeah. down to about five areas of priority. Um, and if I remember correctly, you know, of course, affordable health care was one of those things. Um, a fairer tax system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, also, I think a, a jobs creating economy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Protecting our public lands in Montana. Montana is also known as the poor man's paradise because we have so much public land, and uh, it's uh, law that that access has to be provided to those beautiful public lands.
0: And so, when you're running, when you're a candidate, and you were a first-time candidate, you run on a lot of promises or broad themes, but then you get into office, and you have some details to hammer out. Um, were you how, how did you get prepared for that detail-oriented process? Because it sounds like you are very much involved in those things.
1: Well, before I ran for office, like I said, I campaigned for other campaigns. Mm-hmm. But I also helped develop some statewide policy, um, which actually created a Medicaid buy-in program for people with disabilities who do work which bumps them out of eligibility for that same reason I was discussing before, which is that you either get put in an either or of working or having benefits. Um, The program that I helped create allowed those who earn too much income to buy Medicaid. And the reason that's important is that um, Medicaid is the only provider for certain things like durable medical equipment Mm -hmm. or direct care services. So those kinds of people that would come in your home, help you shower, cook your food, help you wash your clothes, so that you can go out and work and get a job if Mm -hmm. you have that kind of disability. But yeah, you know, so I had some exposure. Um, Once I got to the legislature though, one of the most eye-opening aspects of it was serving in a minority. Mm -hmm. What that means is that um, you have fewer members of your party represented in the state legislature and I can tell you that's just a very unpleasant process, especially if you have, um, you know, the kind of political division that we have now. It was not as intense in 2015 when I first served as it is now. So it's gotten worse. But those those partisan divides um, tend to create the situation in my tenure in the legislature, where um, the majority party has kind of taken on this winner take all attitude. They, they call it a
0: mandate. We have a mandate from
1: our voters. right? So so your bills are not going to pass. <laughs>
0: and, and, you know, like, talking to people about how that is in Washington, you see it on the state level. Um, you know, there's talk about the filibuster in the Senate, which obviously you don't have to deal with. Mm-hmm. But in a way, as a voter, like, if I've, for at least on the federal level, right, like, what's the reason for it to, to not just be like, we have voted for a majority? they should do whatever we voted for them for um, you know what's the pushback on that That well no we shouldn't
1: well it's not it's not a winner take all system right. um you you you're denying those 10 or 20,000 voters in each one of those elected representatives districts a voice
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and what about considering good legislation shouldn't it be about the policy not about partisan politics but about good policy that gets moved forward that's good for everyone in all voting districts, regardless of who won that election to represent them.
0: And it's frustrating to me, and sure more so to you, that so many things have become partisan. Um, you know with the COVID relief, the American Rescue (laughs) Act, um, it expands Medicaid, which I I know you and I both agree is so important. And yet a lot of states still are pushing back on it when there's no good conservative policy reason to not take medicaid expansion money, right
1: the medicaid expansion is a win-win-win-win right. win. <laughs> there are no detractors um when we first heard it in 2013 and then again in 2015 when it first passed in montana the testimony was overwhelmingly in support of medicaid expansion it was about a 10-hour bill hearing. (laughs) Um, There were over 700 people who drove across the state in the dead of winter to come to support this bill, and they ran the gamut of representation for Montana's population. So I distinctly remember a young man who earned too much money Mm -hmm. to be eligible for disability benefits, but um, who did not earn enough money or didn't work in the kind of job that provided him health care benefits, and he had type 1 diabetes. So essentially, his testimony told us that he was working himself blind and eventually working himself into an early grave. Yeah. And no, he did not have family members who could put him up on their couch until, you know, he could find something else. He did not have that luxury. This young man was um, basically alone in the world. There was a grandfather that came in and explained that he was not old enough for. Medicare and Social Security retirement benefits yet, and that um, his wife and daughter had been killed in a car wreck. He was now responsible for guardianship of his granddaughters, and that he had congestive heart failure, so he was not only working himself into an early grave, uh, providing for his grandchildren, but that he would leave them also ultimately um, orphaned with no family and no means. So then you had the other end of the spectrum where you had very successful businessmen coming in talking about those employees that were for them who were only part-time for which they could not provide benefits because it was not a cost effective thing for them to do. You know, it could prospectively put them out of business, but that if Medicaid expansion were passed, they could have health care through this program, and that would provide the business community, i.e. these employers who are testifying a healthy workforce, and overall contribute to the, the well-being of the, the state's economy. It was amazing. <laughs>
0: and, and you, it was able to pass then. With the way that the Republicans are moving now, like it feels like things that you were able to do with, with bipartisan only a few years ago, it's becoming even harder now.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and and I will just say it. You know, with the advent of, of the Trump administration um, or the Trump presidency, um, I think that we've seen a significant shift in the political mindset. Um, you know, I would go so far as to call it rabid mm-hmm. and um, lacking logic, and, and, and it, it yeah, it, it contributes to that winner take all, that mandate mentality. Absolutely.
0: And what, what do you you see? I see that from, like, you know, regular people. You see, obviously, from regular voters, too, when you talk to them or you interact with them in any way. But you're talking to people who make the laws. I don't make the same laws you do, but I know about the impact of even a bike lane. Like, this is going to be great or this is going to hurt this person, but it's worth it. Um, you know, legislators should understand the impact of what they do. Yeah. What do you sense about the mentality of that at this point? Like, do you see any way of kind of cracking that egg or fixing that fever?
1: Honestly, no, because, yeah. it, it, you know, we've been screaming into the void for years. Right. Yeah. So we, we, we go to great lengths to study the legislation. That when I say we, I mean the Democrats, we study the legislation, we take great pride in not misconstruing or misrepresenting what's in legislation. Mm -hmm. And we go to great lengths to unpack that or to to describe it um, as much for the sake of our voters, as much for the sake of pending litigation Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a result of these laws, but also for the sake of the argument on the floor for debate in consideration of the bill. Um, I feel that way. I, i comfortable saying my caucus feels that way and yet it seems that we've entered an age where um, someone's ignorance weighs or holds just as much value as as someone else's education and intelligence right so you know you'd use the example of vaccinations or science or an epidemic for example where um you know my ignorance or my my d- desire or my choice to ignore hard fact, irrefutable, undebatable fact, um, weighs just as heavily as um, yeah, something that can't be argued. <laughs> and,
0: and like for me, I could just ignore those people for most of it. Like, um, <laughs> what do? How do you accomplish what you want to accomplish and maintain your own mental sanity? And I don't mean that as a joke. Like it's. I'm sure it's very frustrating mentally and to deal with that when you're trying to work with these people to pass, to pass or not pass certain laws.
1: Oh my gosh, Tony. Thank you for that question because um, one of the things that I talk to new legislators about when they're coming into the session, serving in a minority is mm-hmm. um, self-care. You know, if, if you ran as someone who's running because you feel um, a calling you, you run for moral reasons. You feel like you want to serve to help people when you enter into an environment like this where um, it seems, you know, sometimes um, good legislation gets killed just for the sake of winning, just for the sake of being able to spike the football. And when you have a fuller understanding of the consequences and harm that it causes, um, yeah, see, I get, I get emotional just talking about that. It becomes very upsetting. It is. The single most difficult thing to deal with when you're serving, um, knowing that um, vulnerable people become collateral damage in the process.
0: On the flip side, um, yeah, and I agree with you completely. Even though I don't need to, I don't deal with the same consequences that you do. It is really rewarding when you do accomplish things, <laughs> or you're able to be part of accomplishing good things. Right.
1: Nothing was better than experiencing the passage of Medicaid expansion. Right. (laughs) Um, Having served those those populations of folks who so desperately needed it when I worked as an advocate for people with disabilities, you know, I actually worked a job where I told people outright, I'm sorry, Um, I know you're quadriplegic, I know you're absolutely disabled, but because you have the capability of earning an income, maybe you can fold napkins with your mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, Social Security Administration doesn't consider you disabled, and so I'm sorry. Or perhaps someone like the young man who had diabetes, who had um, retinal degeneration, um was absolutely disabled, but didn't have the luxury of quitting working because he needed a roof and food, so I would have to tell someone like him I'm sorry, you earned too much money to qualify for yeah. disability benefits When Medicaid expansion came, that was the answer for a lot of those people. then they could access health care. Um, I have a friend right now who's an artist who is um Utilizing Medicaid expansion for the first time, the pandemic has had a detrimental effect on her business, her ability to earn enough income to be able to buy other forms of insurance, and so now she's on Medicaid expansion. She's a type one diabetic. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it it was very rewarding to be able to be a part of that process.
0: And I don't know that person, but I know I, I work with graphic designers for my regular job, which is for people with uh, disabilities, actually, and and. You know, if their graphic, the designer can't get healthcare, then we can't work with them. You can't do anything with them if they're constantly in poor health and constantly having to figure out their own health situation. So, the benefits of that are are great on a human level, but they're really good on a community level for everybody else.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, all yeah, I can yeah, say okay. is I agree.
0: So, but I, I have seen that you are working on many different issues from climate to um, disabilities to healthcare um, and transportation, et cetera. Your name comes up a lot, especially when you're in the minority, you end up taking on more issues, I assume, because there's less of your caucus that can be in those committees.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You do end up learning more, um, developing new passions or new areas of interest. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, so if because and I think that sometimes is an intimidating thing to a new candidate is to say, you know, I, I would like to do it, but look at Jessica; she's so impressive. She can talk about all these things, <laughs> and I know one thing. Um, you know, where do you get the resources? Because I'm sure you don't have 30 people on staff. You know, like, um, what where do you find the the help to be able to navigate all of those challenging issues? Um, as, as a
1: legislator. Yeah. We, we don't have help, right. to be quite honest. I mean, our caucus of 33 in the House right now has staff of five, but they're basically dedicated to um, the overall caucus. There's no individual help at all. Mm-hmm. We don't have offices. We have file drawers in the basement of the Capitol. <laughs> to make matters worse, we're term limited, right? So um, no matter the prolific amount of information that you take in over those four sessions, um, at the end of those four sessions in the House, you're done. <laughs> so in comes a new flood of legislators who may or may not have that same policy grounding mm-hmm. that I had or who may or may not have the desire to learn about new areas of policy. Um, they may have one niche specialty or maybe they have political ambition, and that's the reason that they're there. Maybe they're not vested in policy, right? Mm-hmm. People run for all kinds of different reasons, and so um, I, I think that um, the the argument I would put forward in those regards is that you have to pr- be pretty self-motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that I tell new candidates can be pretty intimidating, especially when you run in a state like Montana. Um, I've been saying for years it's predominantly red. People have argued it's purple because we've been able to elect certain people to statewide offices or to Congress or to the governor's office. But as our last election bore out, when we got ballots in the hands of every single registered voter, active, inactive, you name it, it bore out what I've been saying. Montana is deeply, deeply red. (laughs) I
0: think, (laughs) yeah, you know, people, there's all these terrible bills about um, limiting um, who can vote. And all these voter suppression bills are Republicans across the country. And a number of people have gone of of, uh, writers have said, you know, they're doing this to hurt Democrats, but a lot of these Republicans that are limiting (laughs) who can vote could be hurting themselves more than Democrats.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Tony. And when we were discussing voter suppression bills as a group one night, I just said, well, they won. (laughs) If it's not broke, don't fix it. Have you never heard the saying? And So, you know, I kind of laughed. It's like, What's the logic behind this? And I think it's just purely that nationalization of politics, right? This one size fits all, regardless of where you live. But I can't speak for other states, but I can speak for Montana. When I watched all of this evolving in the 2016 election, When Trump first ran, um, I was out knocking doors and I laughed because I saw these Trump signs pop up and through the voter registration rules, I could look them up in my database and I thought, oh, they're not even registered voters. That's hilarious. But then when I saw them popping up everywhere at every single door that was not a registered voter or every Mm -hmm. Trump sign happened to not be a registered voter, I realized this is coordinated. This is planned these people are going to the polls. Montana had same-day voter registration, and I was right. All of those same-day voter registration, same-day voters, ended up voting for him predominantly, whereas in the past, those had been Democratic voters. And I'm not talking the Trump voters being flipped. I'm saying that those voters in the past who had voted at the polls as same-day reg voters had been Democratic voters, Trump campaign saw that opportunity, tapped into an entirely new voter base, people who felt the same pains that we did, who felt disenfranchised from an entire system. He got those people to come out and vote for him, and so, yes, these bills are going to hurt them in that regard. (laughs) And my question was, if they pass all these voter suppression bills and they lose, do I have to be sad? Right. Yeah. It it makes
0: It's baffling to me in all these states where they won. I mean, I understand what they're doing in Georgia is specifically targeted. But even then, not only does it disenfranchise some of their voters, but it it clearly is riling up Democratic voters to come out and vote and, like, repel these people.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It goes against American values of one man, one vote. Mm -hmm. We fought against those those, um, poll taxes. You know, you had to own property. Um, you had to have ID. Americans have historically had this innate sense of fairness, you know, of, of uh, government of by and for the people, and that seems to be being eroded right now. I, I think that there is absolutely a move toward authoritarianism or just a minority rule in the country.
0: Well, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of those, those Trump people they don't think that they're unfair. They, they have been warped by Tucker Carlson and you know Laura Ingram to think that you know things are unfair against them because someone else is being helped and you helping a person who is different than them somehow hurts them in the long run.:
1: Yeah, it's that you know when you go to, to, to college and you take those philosophy one-on-one classes, it's the one lifeboat mentality, right? Or
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's a limited supply of resources um, and that you're not going to get yours if somebody else gets something. It's that. And, and it is preying on those people that may or may not have that education level. But it also preys on the fears of people's um, essentialness, right? So white men. Right. Right. Um, there are members of my family whom I will not name. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Them, so, uh, I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Who have been seduced by this idea that they are a, a dying breed, that they're becoming a minority, and that they're going to be treated the same way that they have historically treated other minority populations. They don't have any other frame of reference, and they assume that should they lose their power. Um, <laughs> Uh, Real or not, because, you know, as I tell them, you personally do not wield any power. (laughs) This is being sold to you as a bill of goods, so to say. Um, But just that social standing or that idea that they might hold some higher social status is really a gross idea to me. And I think that that's absolutely being um, perpetrated on on people who already have anger issues. You know, they're angry because... um, they feel like they're not being represented. That is true. Um, It's becoming harder and harder for people to achieve the American dream. So they lure them in with that anger, and then they scapegoat those other people that they feel like they should be superior to. And it becomes very convoluted but very, very effective messaging. Yes, you're hurting. Your life is becoming more difficult. Um, You're not going to be able to retire. Your kids won't have any college, yada, yada. But it's their fault. (laughs) You know, it's the cartoon of the – corporate executive with the, with the cookie, the yeah, know. I knew know. you were
0: going to say, as soon as you started it, yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, so he's saying, you know, there's one cookie, he's saying, this minority guy is stealing your, your cookie, and he's eating it.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I've i missed it as a, as a white man, as a straight white man, age 18 to 45, as Homer Simpson would say. The the world <laughs> is meant for me. I, I, there's nothing, I've never not gotten a loan, I've never not gotten a job, because, like, um you know it, it's sad to me as as that group because i don't see where the suppression exists when it comes to people like me um and then the liberal the, the progressive things you're talking about like medicaid expansion like we said it's you if you expand medicaid or do these other things that are progressive goals they don't help uh-huh. one person and hurt someone else expanding medicaid right. and things like that have yep. large community benefit even for those people who may feel disenfranchised.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just that proof that, um, you know, high tides lift all boats. Yeah. Sometimes what's good for some is good for all. Oftentimes, if it's good policy, that is the case. Um, there are tangible and intangible benefits to good policy, and that's the kind that you want to pursue.
0: So you have been on the minority. You've seen some challenges in Montana. It is a really cool state, though. I would love to visit because it's, <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. It's well, maybe it's one of the top five most beautiful, you know, looking states in terms of landscape. Um, but I will not those, lie; it is. Yeah, I mean, I you would not get elected if you say Montana doesn't look good. <laughs> so, um, what are is there? Are there things that make you feel hopeful for the future, or where you see a possibility where people can? Can make things hopeful?
1: Uh, Great question. So, yes, you know, this might sound um, kind of like a canned answer, but I think younger generations are much better educated on on issues than older generations, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'm going to use my parents' generation, for example. they, they are not as inclusive, just unquestioningly inclusive, probably because they didn't know anybody from a minority community that they were friends with or related to, but that's not the case with kids now. You know, yeah. part of that is social media. Part of it is just the inclusive nature of youth, and I think that when you look at the fact that they've also been disenfranchised the most out of all generations, sorry, old white guys, right? But they don't. They don't drive cars. They don't buy houses because they can't. Mm-hmm. They're not destroying the real estate market. They're not destroying the auto industry. That's how out of touch our policymakers are. Um, they can't afford those things, and so they understand um, that you know it takes all of us to survive. And I think there is more of an understanding of the need for socialist policy. Socialist, not communist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those types of socialist programs that we already have that could be expanded, um, i.e., Medicaid, I think younger generations have a better understanding of that. They also have a better understanding of civil policy that doesn't harm other people. You don't need to hurt other people in order to pursue happiness in this country. And that's the hope. You know, I, I look at my kids, for example. And um, they're both mortified with what's happening in the state. There have been tears shed. Um, You know, I have one daughter who works in the tech industry in Seattle who says she's never moving back here. It doesn't change Mm. back. Um, Now you're getting between me and my kids, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then you're in trouble. Then you're in dangerous territory if you come between a mom and her kids. But um, I understand her viewpoint, and I I support that. You know, um, the older one says, yeah. If it gets worse, she might have to leave, too. You know, workplace discrimination becomes not just endorsed, but it becomes part of corporate culture when legislation like this is passed. Yeah. It does have a trickle-down effect.
0: But the flip side of that is that um, young people, like your kids and others, um, maybe they don't need to stay in fight, but they need to continue the fight because that's the only way things are going to get done in the, in, in the right direction, so we're not passing those harmful things.
1: Agreed, and there are young people who are here. You know, my younger one just happened to get a great job in Seattle in the tech industry. No, she didn't just happen to get it. She worked right. her tail off to get it.
0: Right, <laughs> I'm sure she didn't win it a lottery ticket, It wasn't a sea
1: <laughs> Right, no. Uh, she works really hard, and uh, she's earned everything that she's got. But, you know, you can't blame her
0: mm-hmm.
1: when she says she doesn't want to return to a place that would be harmful to her. Financially, morally. Uh, ethically, socially, and otherwise. Why would she come back here? There's nothing here for her if it remains this way. And that's what the, the, the right either fails to understand or that they're misconstruing when they say, um, you know, they want to build a more business-friendly climate, or, you know, they're building policy, or they're, they're passing laws that are going to be more friendly to um, starting businesses, running businesses, you know, business equipment tax cuts, corporate tax cuts, you name it. Okay, fine. But what company is going to want to come here or stay here when you pass laws that go counter to good human resources policy? Um, Why would you want to run a business in a state where you will get sued where it's, it's legal to discriminate, but that absolutely is counter to your HR policy and the rights of your employees. No one is going to bring their business here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and
0: I'm, I, I would like to wrap up our conversation soon, but I think uh, I can't think of any major company that's going to a state and saying, what well, we need you to do to make your state viable for my major company to bring a thousand jobs is to harm transgender people or to, um, you know, harm access to women's health. care. Like, there's no company that's going to a state lobbying for this, these kind of materials in order to help their business, right?
1: Absolutely not, because they understand that um, nobody's going to want to come work for them if their HR policies are hateful, and then you're losing out on the best talent. But then again, too, nobody's going to want to buy your products or your services if you have hateful Mm policies. So why would you go to a state that has hateful policy? You know, our travel and tourism industry are being jeopardized right now by the kinds of laws that we're passing. Mm -hmm. There's already a nationwide uh, boycott against us.
0: Yeah, it's... um it's really hard to understand. I know that, I mean, any, any, most businesses, especially if you're trying to hire younger people, um, it would be a huge backlash on that. Um, so, but we wanna get people involved in running, potentially young people, potentially people who've never done it before. If people want to learn from your example and get involved, what would you tell people right now if they're interested in, in making a difference?
1: Well, I love seeing, um our friend, Representative such, because she is still a representative, though she's not currently seated. Um, I love seeing a change in her. What's happening at the Capitol has not discouraged her in the least. Yeah. She has become more activated, as some people have described her, knives out. <laughs> because this does impact her personally. It does impact her friends. And I think that when young people who are here, who are vested in their communities and rooted here, um, who have jobs here that they like, it has only served to energize and activate them more. I've seen people that I never thought would want to run for office step forward and say, I want to run now. <laughs> Good. So I think it's kind of backfiring. You know, rather than people getting scared or discouraged, it's really lighting a fire under a lot of people.
0: Good. Well, I am looking forward to more people having a fire lit under them and, and run for office. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that I mean I, I consider it a privilege to be in office myself. I know you do too and I hope that um, yeah. people who are yeah. I hope that people who are better than me will end up running everywhere oh. across the country. Not I'm not not a knock on me. I'm, I'm excited for the younger people to run and you know <laughs> you wanna be replaced by something better, not something worse.
1: Absolutely. That's the goal.
0: Great. Yes. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much. And finally, if people are interested in learning more about you and following what you're doing, what's the best way that they can follow you?
1: They can find me on Facebook mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also on Twitter. It's just my name, Jessica Carjala. The last name is spelled K-A-R-J-A-L-A. Pretty easy to find. Um, I don't have a website um, because social media is more effective. So, yeah. And, and through you, you can direct them my way.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, I would encourage everyone to follow Jessica. Uh, follow her example, and maybe you should run for office, too.
1: Yes, because if I can do it, other people can do it. I unseated a Republican to get myself up there so other people can do it.
0: Same here. If, you, if I can do it and Jessica can do it, you can, too. So, th-
1: <laughs> Thank you so
0: much, and best of luck to you in Montana. I hope that you uh, have some good reason to celebrate in the future.
1: Thank you, Tony.